1: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And Kristen, to start off today's podcast, I have a joke. It's not really a joke, but I'm going to set it up like a joke. Okay. Ready? Um, So a blonde and a brunette walk into an Indian restaurant for lunch. And the blonde says to the brunette, You know, I'm really teaching my daughter that it's bad to curse. And the brunette says, Why? That's, I mean, that's good, but why? And she's like, The blonde says to the brunette, Well, you know, it's just not ladylike. You know, she's not a true lady if she curses. It's not a ladylike thing to do. The brunette tells the blonde, Oh, I totally agree. I have two boys and I think it's way more acceptable for them to curse, especially like, On the football field. I mean, that's totally fine. Okay, so what I've just told you is an actual true story that I overheard at an Indian restaurant at lunch one day where two women were discussing the upside and downside of children cursing according to their gender.
3: Yeah, my next question was going to be, and so what did the redhead you (laughs) say to the blonde and brunette? Because I've heard similar things like that in terms of talking about... Little girls and being ladylike and the ladylike behavior. And I'm pretty sure that I was also told as a girl to watch my language because ladies don't talk in X, Y, Z kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. So how did you react? I shoved
2: some naan into my face and I just kept eating my curry. I was not going to intervene in this situation. Like, tap, tap, tap. Excuse me. What do you mean by a true lady?
3: And so instead, you decided, hey, this is a great podcast topic, which it is because swearing, cursing, profanity, whatever you want to call it, has so many gendered elements to it. It's... So fascinating once you start to unravel that ball of yarn.
2: It is. And the more that Kristen and I read about this topic, the more I found myself kind of looking inwardly because I tend to have a sailor's mouth. I curse all the time. I think the F word is like one of the most satisfying words to say. The MF word is my my go to curse word at work because I managed to stop myself after the first two syllables. Therefore, not actually cursing. Um, so that, that's a good route to take, but, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting. I felt like there was a little bit of a mirror being held up at me when I was reading this stuff because everything we read is like, you know, cursing is a masculine linguistic attribute and women who do it
3: are viewed kind of negatively. Yeah. And not only that, there's the masculine element, but there's also this power element. Of cursing that we'll get into as well. And that's what really struck a chord with me in thinking about my own cursing behavior. Because, Mm -hmm. Caroline, like you, I don't have to tell you that I have a salty mouth. (laughs) As well and have a penchant for the F word because there is something particularly satisfying about saying it and sometimes no substitute, no euphemism Mm -hmm. will do uh, for reasons that we'll get into. Um, and don't worry, this is going to be a clean podcast. So for listeners out there, I think this will be uh, for men and women alike, something to think about while about your own cursing behavior too, as Mm -hmm. you're listening to this Uh, but first a little bit of history in terms of how long we have been swearing answer basically forever yeah i mean
2: i'm sure there were cavemen who grunted you know when they stubbed their toes things like that but if you look at the etymology of the word curse like to say a bad word to swear profanely that comes from the early 13th century and something that i didn't realize about the origin of even talking about saying bad words uh, is that to curse or to swear, to use swear
3: words, swearing was a huge deal back in the day. Yeah, Um we're looking at A Brief History of Swearing, which is a book by Melissa Moore. And she divides swearing into what she calls two spheres of the unsayable. And the first one that really came around were... Religious swears, and mm-hmm. this is especially taking God's name in vain. Uh, and then you have the sexual or excremental types of swearing, such as the S-word.
2: Right, and she says that these two types are kind of at the root of all of the bad words that we say today. Okay, but going back to the, the religious, the holy, the swearing... That actually goes way back in text records to ancient Latin and blasphemy against deities predates cursing in reference to sexual or scatological behaviors because religion was the central part of our lives.
3: Right. So saying something like zounds, which would be short for God's wounds or by God's bones, would have been horrendously profane. Yeah. Zounds sounds like something that Scooby Doo would say. <laughs> right. Yeah, today we wouldn't think of it. Because think of how common it is to just say, oh my God. Right. That even would have been bad to say.
2: Right. And I mean I was telling Kristen that I, I did get a bit of an education reading about this because, you know, I was raised that saying, oh my God, was was so bad that you did not say that in the house and you didn't say it in front of my dad. Um but I, I didn't understand that You know, things like when you talk about the covenant, you know, when you talk about God's promises or swearing to God or making an oath, that that is so serious. And that when you take God's name in vain, you are essentially promising something false. You're kind of bringing God or whatever deity into your lie, essentially.
3: Yeah. And more describes why the whole emergence of it being bad to take God's name in vain to make those blasphemous slurs was important, especially for building the foundations of Christianity. She writes, in the Old Testament, God is fighting a war for supremacy with other Near Eastern gods, and he wields oath swearing as one of his most powerful weapons. And right there from the get go, we have that word powerful coming up because in a way, this is one way in which you could say that, you know, religion is setting out a a rule, a social rule saying, hey, don't don't do this, people. Mm hmm. You need to abide by these religious rules. Respect your God and he won't smite you. I know. I've, I can't believe I've avoided being smote.
2: Being smote. This whole time. <laughs> well, so as we move forward, though, into the 18th century and we move away from maybe taking God's name in vain or or religious swearing being the worst possible thing you can do, we get the rise of kind of body consciousness and hating our bodies and hating our bodily functions and being scared of everything that comes out of our bodies. And so we get this rise in kind of body shyness, but also the use of euphemisms.
3: Yeah. And so by the end of the 19th century, Moore says that swearing began to indicate not only those religious oaths, but also those obscenities. Um But also by this time, too, well by this time, we have a lot of gender specificity with swearing behavior because, Earlier, centuries before, in fact, it was, had been established that women, especially, who were considered the more, who were considered the pure sex, the morally upright, uh, you know, kind of uh, counterparts to men, mm-hmm. were certainly not supposed to use these words. Right. In 1523, a piece
2: titled On the Instruction of a Christian Woman, Includes observations about what is appropriate language for women to use. So already, I mean, that's coming from somewhere that didn't originate in 1523. So obviously, it's already being laid out formally that women are supposed to talk a certain way and not
3: tread into bad, scary territory. And from 1523 all the way up to an Indian restaurant in 2014.
2: Right. And I mean, you know, that conversation that I overheard, you know, it was like girls shouldn't curse and you certainly should not curse in front of girls, but boys should be allowed to do whatever they want. It's way more acceptable to curse in front of them. And and I heard, you know, in that conversation, the brunette telling the blonde basically that, you know, well, it's just a fact of life. You know, a boy will curse on the football field or curse in the halls of school Um, But if a girl does it, she will be looked down upon. People will think she's trashy.
3: Well, and unfortunately, there might be some validity to that point, although Mm -hmm. that's not to say that that's necessarily a good thing or a thing that we should simply condone and say, right. okay, well, yeah, the girls just, just don't do that. But guys, go ahead and do what you want to do. But first, we, we got to figure out why we do this in the first place, because there's a linguistic theory that humans' very first words were swear words because of their emotional nature. It, it's interesting that there is such a gender divide in cursing behavior because it's such an inherently human thing to do. It's like in our DNA almost.
2: Yeah. And Moore talks about uh, she gives some examples of, of individuals, well-known individuals who, you know, have experienced whether, you know, dementia or, or, you know, general speech loss for whatever reason, who still are cursing because it's it seems to be kind of deeply ingrained in some part of our brain that maybe when the rest of our brain has been affected by some disease or some injury we can reach down into those pits of the brain and still manage to throw out a well-placed four-letter word.
3: And that's because swear words are actually produced in different parts of the brain compared to regular speech. Because what you and I are saying right now on the podcast, Caroline, is being processed through the left hemispheres of our brain. And it's known as a higher brain function, this language processing. But... If you and I were to start cursing up a storm on this podcast, we would probably be activating the limbic system, which is known as a more ancient part of the human brain. And this is where expletives are stored. Right. And it's basically brain circuitry
2: that is linked to emotion and is Just as Kristen said, evolutionarily ancient, and it's buried deep inside the right half of our brain.
3: And it makes neurological sense that that's where swear words originate from, because that's also the part of the brain that regulates things like fear response, fight or flight, our autonomous nervous system. And for that reason, Harvard psychologist Steven Pinker was talking about this to Scientific American, and he essentially compared human swearing behavior to that of cats. Saying, quote, I suspect that swearing taps into a defensive reflex in which an animal that is suddenly injured or confined erupts in a furious struggle accompanied by an angry vocalization to startle and intimidate an an attacker. Right. So if you sit on a cat accidentally and the cat gets really angry
2: and and reaches up and swats at you and runs away, that cat just cursed you, Kristen. (gasps) Yeah, it just it's Mr. whiskers. I said a four letter word at you because it was like, dude, don't sit on me. I'm here. And so, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like that makes a lot of sense when 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 certain things drive you to curse without thinking about it, it's usually because you're scared, you're anxious. All of a sudden something startled you or hurt you. And so you react by, you
3: know, screaming a bad word. Well, and it's also fascinating to look at the physiological effects of swearing because our, it's a total brain body connection going on when we swear as opposed to just a casual clean conversation. Because when we swear, for instance, it induces greater skin conductance than other words, which indicates emotional arousal. And so our heart rate also goes up and it might have a pain mitigating effect. Yeah, I love this study. This
2: was uh, published in Neuroreport Report back in 2009. People who held their hands in icy water, the people who swore held their hands in the water for an average of 40 seconds longer. So there you go. If you un- unleash a string of curse words versus just chanting something random and neutral, you can withstand pain better.
3: But there was one caveat to that study finding, which was that with repeated use, that pain threshold actually... Diminishes, which is why you might want to put a limit on your swearing, because if you're dropping F-bombs all the time, in a way, it desensitizes you and probably mm-hmm. your audience to the power of that word.
2: No, I, yeah, yeah this is exactly right. Uh, d- you know, researcher Caroline did a little bit of studying on this topic, and I did. I had a day where, um, <laughs> not to into details, but something was really ticking me off, and I unleashed, like, a string. I think I said more F-bombs than I said actual subjects and verbs uh, in, in my sentence. And, uh, you know, the other person in the conversation was stunned, rightly so. But I don't know. Maybe in my string of expletive use, maybe I was trying to exercise a degree of power over the person across the table from me. Moore does call curse words, quote, the most powerful words we have with which to express extreme emotion whether negative or positive.
3: Sure, that's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, to read. But there's also linked to that this old theory that women swear as kind of a linguistic power grab that the only reason we would really want to violate those long-standing gender norms that we are supposed to speak like good ladies mm-hmm. and and be Clean and euphemistic and, and no, no F-bombs. The only reason we would do that is to try to kind of exert some power, flex
2: our muscles. Right. And, but why is that equated with power? Cause, I mean, it's also equated with masculinity. And so women being the repressed, oppressed group of people that we are, maybe we're all just cursing up a storm according to this theory to, uh, to, boost our power seat?
3: Yeah, I think some of that is being said with sarcasm. I don't know. What do you think about that? I don't, because I remember the first time I really started cursing was in high school. Uh, there was a, one girl in my class who like knew all of the words. And yeah, I know this is high school. Hello. I was yeah. a little bit of a late bloomer, <laughs> but uh, I started kind of practicing cursing under my breath. And then I started saying it out loud. And there was that power element to it. But like I like it felt like I felt like I was rebelling in a way. Yeah, I
2: I think, yes, I would agree with you personally. I feel like it's less to do with I'm a woman and so I need to somehow elevate myself up to being equal to men through the use of the F-bomb. But more so than like I'm just angry and I'm conversationally rebelling and I'm going to let you know exactly how angry I am.
3: Yeah, I mean, and I, I I don't think that you can discount the power element. It just might not be as gendered as saying the only reason women are cursing is to try to emulate male behavior. Because there's also one thing that more and other linguists point out is the socioeconomic power element of it, too, where cursing has generally been associated with either lower-class people, more of a blue-collar type of thing to do, or at the very upper echelons of society where their standing is so secure mm-hmm. that they can swear and not be looked down upon. Whereas for good middle-class folk, you keep it clean.
2: Yeah, and I mean, talking about women being the ones who supposedly use euphemism over, like, an out-and-out curse word, linguists have found, like, they they looked at, one study looked at... um courtroom transcripts and found that social class, not gender, was actually a greater predictor of the use of quote unquote woman's language, which sounds horrifically offensive to me, but it just means that this is the language that people typically associate with women being like lower on the power scale, Mm -hmm. maybe using euphemism instead of the stronger language, et cetera, et cetera.
3: So why don't we dig even deeper into this gender issue? Because one thing I was surprised to find in the research on cursing, like the more scholarly research on cursing, is how you cannot get very far away from gender when you yeah. start looking for academic research on this. Um And one paper that we found was by Christy Beers Fagerston, and it's called Who's Swearing Now? The Social Aspects of Conversational Swearing. And this quote immediately jumped out, which is that, quote, by far the most thoroughly investigated aspect of the sociolinguistics of swearing is the correlation between swearing and the gender of the interlocutors of social interaction. So, in other words, it's swearing behavior and gender are almost always Inextricably linked, it seems like.
2: Right. And one researcher, one linguistics professor who is constantly cited in all of these studies is Robin Lakoff, who is a professor at the University of California, Berkeley. And she said that women uh, cursing had long been considered dangerous because these words, quote, express anger and act as a substitute for physical expression of anger. So basically, whereas men have the power to hit each other in the face at the bar, women are just going to throw some nasty words at you instead.
3: Yeah, this also does remind me of some of the research that we found in our episode a while back on women and anger, Mm -hmm. where it's not that we are less angry than men, but we don't express it as outwardly sometimes as men do. And this also reminded me, too, of growing up, my dad is a big guy and he's, he has a loud and and booming voice and he didn't curse all that much, but it was like, if he was angry, you could hear it. Mm -hmm. Whereas my mom verbally expressive though she is, um, you knew things were bad. If you heard her curse, Mm. even today, I mean, we have like a very like close adult relationship and I can say whatever I want for the most part around her. But even still, I mean, she'll, like, drop her voice and say a curse word, and then it's like, that's when you know. And just she- immediately everyone starts crying. Yeah, because that's like, I mean, if, if she is pushed to the point of cursing, then
2: she is angry. Yeah, it's kind of, my mom doesn't curse much. She actually, I think my mom is kind of entertained when I curse, and so she kind of curses along with me, and it's like a girlfriend activity. Uh, but, yeah, my dad is kind of the same way. Like, he never gets loud. He never yells. But... He will lower his voice to a growl. And if he says just like a soft, so quote unquote soft four letter word, you're like, it's
3: all over. It's all over the apocalypse. Everything's crumbling. Oh my God, run for the hills. And it's because though, of that longstanding notion of women having women in your dad, having (laughs) cleaner speech that they're often described as the guardians of language and propriety, the experts Of euphemism, but there's this interesting shift that happens starting in the 1970s and 80s where you see this correlation between, uh, the women's lib movement and second wave feminism picking up steam and women cursing more. So, I mean, I can obviously see where
2: stemming from those studies that you would link power grabs by women and cursing. And cursing being a masculine thing and women trying to overtake men, blah, 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 all that that whole narrative. Right.
3: I mean, and again, like studies like that, there's always the thing of, hey, correlation versus causation. Keep that in mind. But it was nevertheless interesting to see these studies coming out in the mid 70s looking specifically at that. Um, But one thing, though, when we're talking about men and women in mixed company and cursing behavior, men will curse less around women. Right, because there's that natural assumption, that like almost
2: ingrained assumption that women don't curse women have a lower what's it called like offensiveness threshold or obscenity yeah. threshold, yeah, and so they their their fragile brains just can't handle
3: it well, that's the outside assumption, whereas women really in self- reports aren't necessarily as definitive as we tend to think they would be. And when women are around men, we tend to curse more. It's like we're trying to meet in the middle in terms of our gendered swearing behavior. Um, but when you think, too, about swear words, swear words to me is such a hokey phrase, but when you think about the list of swear words that we have and the ones that you hear so often, uh, Fagerson writes that the implication of swearing as a male domain can also be found in the language of swearing itself, which includes an abundance of terms, for females and their body parts. Right.
2: Yeah, I thought this was interesting, too. An interesting link between cursing and gender that there's so many naughty, quote-unquote, things that you can call women and their body parts, but maybe not as many
3: about men and theirs. Yeah, because even the swear words that might be more commonly directed to men are typically just... Insulting them in female terms, calling them things related to women. Right. That makes sense, since we can't curse on this
1: podcast.
2: Right. And we do, as men and women, tend to insult each other and react to insults differently. Um, This is coming from Timothy Jay's Cursing in America, a psycholinguistic study of dirty language in the courts. Uh, He talks about um, sexual looseness or not being loose enough being the crux of the strongest female insults. Our concerns, he writes, tend to surround intimacy, social desirability, and security, whereas men
3: men's concerns tend to surround sex, power, and physical attractiveness. And so Jay theorizes that the curse words that men and women tend to rely on more often are filtered through those concerns, as he calls them. But the whole sexual looseness or not being loose enough Thing uh, in terms of like the the types of swear words or insults that are lobbed more often at women is so frustrating because it's either you are horribly frigid or way too promiscuous. It's just, you can never really win. Yeah. In terms of that.
2: Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and everything as far as men insulting each other, it seems to be, yeah, like you said, you call them something feminine to insult them the worst, or you insinuate that they're gay or whatever right. to be to be the most the most insulting. And I think that this is interesting because it ties back to one of the sources we read talking about, uh, I think it was more talking about curse words in ancient Rome. Uh-huh. And one of the most vulgar swear words or curse words in ancient Rome was the word for performing oral sex on a woman. That was like the most vulgar. You could not get any more vulgar. Performing oral sex on a man was not even on the charts compared to this. It was just because the mouth is viewed as this clean and sacred place. And then when you talk about performing oral sex on a woman, that's like the worst thing. Vaginas. Vaginas messing it all up. Watch out. And this researcher, Karen Stapleton, also found that men found it more acceptable for men than women to use terms referring to female anatomy. So women aren't even allowed to refer to our own female anatomy in any sort of vulgar terms, if we wish. But when you go back to looking at how we curse as kids, you know, talk about learning how to curse. Like, I don't even remember really when I learned curse words at all. Just sort of appeared in my brain one day.
3: Yeah. I, I, they, I just, I remember kind of absorbing them and then a couple of them being there and like testing the grounds and using them, but having mm-hmm. no idea what I was actually saying. Uh, but one thing that might surprise parents listening is that, at least according to research that Timothy Jay has done, I mean, he studied cursing for like 35 years. He found that we start, we as boys and girls, start picking up our first swear words by the age of two. There's a good chance that we know a swear word before we know the alphabet.
2: Right. And we're saying the same amount, whether we're little boys or we're little girls. We we're familiar with the same amount. But by three and four, girls are producing more swear words. But after three or four, boys begin to clearly pull ahead. And this is a trend that starts as early as five and continues into adulthood.
3: But this is a good point to keep in mind that this isn't offering evidence that, well, men are one way. They're just cursing like sailors and ladies are you know, at home, knitting lace doilies and whispering euphemisms under their breath. (laughs) But simply that this is a reflection of gender norms and expectations, because think about it, at age five, you have your kid already talking, you have your gender schema already Mm -hmm. well underway of formation, and you're probably already teaching girls to be like little girls and boys to be like rough and tumble boys. And you probably have people like the 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 ladies you overheard at the Indian restaurant Saying, oh, don't say, little ladies don't talk like that. Right. I Brenda? mean, I mean, how many
2: times have we, talked, many, Brenda, how many times have we talked in the podcast about having your gender identity basically defined for you already at such a young age? And so it's not that cursing is outside of that. I mean, I think the way you speak is very much tied into how you're instructed to behave, to act, to own that gender.
3: Yeah. I clearly remember being talked to. I don't know. I wouldn't call it punished necessarily, but my mom caught me or I was tattled on. I'm not sure uh, for saying a curse word that I had no idea what it really meant. And I just thought it was funny. And, but I, I don't think she ever told me to not say it because I was a girl. Yeah. But at the same time though, I had no clue what was going on. She was like, I knew I'd done something wrong. And she clearly was uncomfortable that I had said this F word but I mean, I guess, you know, she didn't really want to explain to me, pull out the, whole, you know, the human anatomy book and go into an a in-depth lesson. But I do think that we need to be, I don't know, more accepting of the fact that kids pick up curse words and not be so terrified of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have friends with kids who basically tell their kids, these are grown up words. And when you're around your, your dad and me, you can say them at home. Because you've heard us say them, but you can't say them outside of home. So,
3: yeah, I mean, because there's really at some point there's going to be no controlling. Yeah, that language. Um, But let's next look at whether or not this swearing gender gap is closing today, because Caroline, you and I have admitted now that we off mic on the podcast we curse a lot quite a bit and my girlfriends curse a lot as well and when we are around each other Uh we are certainly cursing not all the time but you know it happens a lot so let's let's figure out whether or not this whole antiquated idea of women being the experts of euphemism has really gone by the wayside and we're going to do that when we come right back from a quick
1: break this episode of stuff on never told you is brought to you by katan This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Get started today at betterhelp.com slash momstuff. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash momstuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help. And now, back to the podcast. So we've looked at gender and swearing behavior in
3: the past, but what about the present? Are we cursing more as women in our day-to-day conversation? And also, are we cursing more in the workplace? Mm. Yes. I try not to. I, I try not to as I don't try that hard actually. I don't either actually to be honest.
2: But, uh, anyway, we found this study that when I, when I first looked at it, I thought there's no way this could be relevant or interesting. It's called FK. Yeah, I swear cursing and gender. In MySpace. Oh, MySpace. MySpace. And I just had a little moment of, like, remembering college. The and sound it... of a dial tone, a dial-up modem. <laughs> right. It was it was very, very warm and fuzzy feelings about MySpace, except for when it won't load at all. Um, but anyway, researcher Mike Fellwall found no significant gender differences in the swearing on MySpace for male and female users in the U.K., between the ages of 16 and 19.
3: Yeah, and while you might be thinking to yourself, why are they quoting a study about MySpace? Well, this is why. Because Thelwall concluded that, quote, this is perhaps the first significant evidence of gender equality in strong swearing frequency in any informal English language context. Because social media has presented a new and unique database, essentially, for academics looking into swearing behavior because otherwise they had to rely on people's self-reported swearing behavior or had to essentially creep up on conversations <laughs> like I did. <laughs> yeah, and, and overhear people and and keep tallies of how much they curse. So this is pretty relevant data. Mm-hmm.
2: But the thing is, I specified that this was U.K. teens. This is not U.S. teens. They're still was a cursing gender gap on MySpace for teens in the U.S.
3: I wonder, too, though, and I want to hear from listeners in the U.K. about this, whether this is any reflection of differences in culture in terms of censorship, broadcast censorship, because the rules in the U.K. are way less strict about the kinds of things that you will see and hear on TV versus Mm -hmm. the FCC in the U.S., which is, you know, you still can't say the F word, the S word um on broadcast networks. So, I wonder if it is maybe part of that? Could be. Um, but yeah, I guess and also just maybe it's a reflection of American prudery.
2: I that's what I would lean. But I mean, but it's one and the same. Yeah. I mean, the FCC being as reactionary and, you know, heavy-handed as they are, it's kind of one and the same.
3: Um, but as of 2013, moving away from the MySpace era now into the age of Facebook, American men Still do it more overall. Uh, there was a study conducted on Facebook Linguistics out of the University of Pennsylvania in Cambridge, and it found that women use more of what they call emotion words, like excited, love you, etc., whereas men use more swear words and object references. So things like, I blank love my, or not love, my Nintendo is blanking awesome. And
2: similarly, a study from 2013 by Toluna Quick Surveys found that millennials are the likeliest to swear repeatedly throughout the day.
3: I fall squarely into that category. But of all age groups, it's still men, at least according to this survey, who are cursing more in the U.S. But I think that millennial um, finding is significant because I do think there is a distinct generational difference Mm -hmm. with our swearing behavior.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is common sense to say, but I mean, you know, with every successive generation, things get more permissive, things that, you know, our grandparents found to be completely obscene, uh, you know, aren't so bad anymore.
3: And we hear them on television shows, so. Yeah, I mean, the fact that uh, there, there was a New York Times article from a few years back, but nevertheless, it was talking about the rise of hearing the word douche On TV. Right. Because it's just another like funny, but slightly taboo word that you can say. And also the B word. It's said all the time. And that's on broadcast networks as well. Well,
2: it's almost like shows like that on those networks find the safe curse words that they can say and then just say them to death. And so that almost has an effect itself, I would think that like, oh, yeah. okay, well, you know, this four letter word isn't nearly as offensive. It's more, much more, you know,
3: soft and everything. So we can say this a hundred times per episode. Well, and one thing that might be becoming more publicized through TV shows and what we're seeing reflected on screen is the fact that a lot of studies have found that when women are talking to each other casually, mm-hmm. We curse more. And we're filthy. Yeah, we're totally filthy. And we found a study called, get this, taboo language in Sex in the City. Yes, there have been a number of studies actually conducted mm-hmm. on Sex in the City. Uh, but it found the most swearing when the main characters, Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda were talking to each other. But it was interesting that when they were talking to male characters on the show, the amount of swearing went down and the euphemism use went up. But male characters, when they were talking still to the to the the gal pals, were cursing more directly.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Art imitating life. Sort of. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm I know that I'm like completely 100 percent disgusting and open with my girlfriends when we're having a conversation about whatever, you know, I mean, yeah. but I ne- not wouldn't necessarily say the same things to guy friends.
3: Exactly. Well, and I I think that we're seeing, too, that girlfriend type of language being reflected in publications specifically targeting us as millennial women. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was an entire New York Times trend piece that came out in January 2013 about the rise of profanity in women's media. I mean, if you go. If you look on any lady blog like Jezebel or The Gloss mm-hmm. or The Hairpin, you're going to see cursing even in headlines.
2: Yeah. And, you know, my attitude <laughs> my, as someone who curses all the time.
3: My attitude about that is kind of like, eh, it's a little forced. Yeah, I feel like it can be forced. I think that you have to keep in mind, especially, and this is just getting nerdy about writing and literary preference. Mm -hmm. I do think you have to keep in mind the power element of cursing and the desensitizing effect that it can have to where it's like, don't you want to save powerful words for making powerful statements.
2: Yeah. And then it kind of makes me look at what the, the, the point they're making overall and being like, what, what is that? Why is that even needed? Right. You're not enhancing it. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I am the last person to make the claim about, well, people who use vulgar terms just obviously have a poor vocabulary because, hello, let me just read you my resume real quick. I have a fine vocabulary, but I understand the power of a well placed curse word, even yeah. when I do fly off the handle and use them too much. That being said, I think in, in the written word, in the world of the written word, I think it's okay to pull back a little. I don't think we yeah. need to unleash the hounds like every time we write a blog about, you know, cellulite.
3: Right. I mean, and I, I, I can see how with blogging in particular, there is a particularly conversational voice that you're often going for where mm-hmm. it's it's almost as though the writer is speaking directly to you and i think there is some shock value yeah. that some people try to employ by what i what we might think of as overusing curse words but even in more mainstream publications like Cosmopolitan magazine Marie Claire you are way likelier to see curse words not only within the pages but even on the cover
2: Yeah, they might have a well
3: placed asterisk or something, but it's
2: still, I think they're pursuing, they want to talk to their audience the same way that their audience talks to one another.
3: Yeah. Uh, It it was funny, though, that New York Times piece was called Fifty Shades of Vulgarity, to which some (laughs) women our age wrote response pieces being like, New York Times, of course we're cursing. But when you, uh, as two people who went to journalism school as we did, and Mm -hmm. also reading the responses of editors at these magazines, yeah, it's kind of a big deal that yeah. they are employing more profanity because you wouldn't do that. They're letting their hair down and the New York Times is just clutching its pearls. <laughs> That's right. Oh, heaven. <laughs> the New York Times is reaching for a scrunchie to put that hair back up <laughs> r- really quickly. Um, but in our day-to-day conversation, too, there is still, anecdotally at least, this debate over whether... If you are uh, at least a straight woman, okay, whether or not cursing all the time is going to be a turnoff for guys.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of debate. One of the first uh, websites I stumbled across when I was searching for just, you know, gender, women, cursing, all that stuff was like this whole message board. I don't even know what it was on, but this whole message board where men were like, yeah, bro, you know, like I might like a woman and she's hot. And then she like curses
3: all the time. And I'm just like, oh, I don't have any respect for you. To which, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that was an askmen.com message board. Which, there you go. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was thinking about this, and in my previous dating life, I did pay attention to how much the guy cursed on dates and how comfortable he was if I cursed, Mm -hmm. and I think honestly that if you are a woman concerned about your cursing behavior, it kind of like take the power because for me, if a guy flinched when I dropped an F bomb, listen, I'm not, no, it wasn't yeah. a deal breaker, but it usually was indicative of maybe the fact that we weren't a match because I'm not going to have to, I, I, I don't want to have to watch my language when oh, yeah. I'm around you. No, I, I dated a guy years ago
2: who was like, wow, uh, you kind of curse a lot. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Okay. All right. Sorry, little sensitive guy. Yeah. Don't mean to insult your ears. See you later.
3: Yeah. I mean, and uh, we're not trying to, uh, you know, blast men for wanting ladylike language. I don't think that this is, you know, something that applies to all guys. But it is something that still crops up in at least heterosexual mm-hmm. dating dynamics.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, the conversation about gender and, and cursing, I mean, it's framed in so many conversations, whether it's about dating or like about work, which we've, we've touched on. Uh, I mean, like the question is still being asked over and over again about like, is it okay for women to curse? Ladies, we shouldn't curse. We don't want to put men
3: off. We don't want to anger our bosses and the men in our lives. Yeah. I mean, and, and I was saying over and over again that this is, we're talking about like straight dating dynamics because I have a feeling that as with, Other issues like this, where it's a lot of gender norms and scripts that are coming into Mm -hmm. play, that it might not be as pertinent of an issue, refreshingly, for LGBT dating. Mm -hmm. And I would love to know if it is. And in that case, it probably is simply a matter of, oh, I don't curse a lot. You don't curse a lot. Cool. You know, like rather than being a thing of, well, she's not a lady. But in a more formal setting of a workplace, this is where. Cursing behavior gets a little dicier.
2: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, as you would expect, argue that cursing in the workplace is bad, it's wrong, it makes you appear immature and hot headed, um, that it can damage morale, dampen respect. Um even coaches, there was a study looking at coaches talking to their teams, and they were rated less effective by their players if they cursed, particularly if those players were girls. There's just all of this talk about how cursing is the worst thing you could possibly do, especially if you're a lady.
3: Yeah, because the workplace, too, if you want to put gender and power dynamics under the microscope, just walk into the office. Um, Because, you know, while there are those assumptions that maybe cursing might be bad, there are also conflicting studies that have found that cursing makes bosses in particular more relatable it builds employee solidarity. Hey, we can all blow off steam together by talking about how this meeting is blanking terrible, you know? Yeah.
2: It probably was a terrible meeting. It probably was. And even, uh, some speeches were, were rated to be more effective when the speaker delivered a well-placed or well-timed curse word.
3: But again, especially if you are in a leadership position at work, your amount of cursing and the or the acceptability of your cursing is going to be seen probably through a gendered lens. Whereas yeah. in if you are a woman, you, the the penalty for cursing, the negative penalty, is probably going to be stronger than if you are a male boss, right? Or in the case of former Yahoo
2: CEO Carol Bartz. <laughs> the use your use of a curse word could shape how the entire world sees you in in an instant
3: yeah when she was fired from her position as ceo she essentially made an f bomb laced exit speech which i remember hearing about this on the news and i thought it was kind of amazing oh i Totally think it's amazing. When I was
2: revisiting all of that for this episode, I was like, God, I just want to give her such a big
3: high five. Yeah, because she was... Now, granted, I can understand why some people say, well, if you're overseeing a company, you don't need to publicly be saying all of these horrible words, but... Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean,
2: I, I think this is a terrible comparison, but if it had been like Donald Trump or somebody, everybody would have just rolled their eyes. Right. Been like, there's that old man ranting again. But instead it was like, oh, she's a woman and she's at the head of a company and she's saying all this stuff. Obviously, she's a B word.
3: Well, and she's angry. Yeah, scary. But yeah. It's that danger element that, who was it? The Lofke brought up um in terms of how Swearing for women has always been perceived as dangerous because we're being angry. Right. Women are not
2: allowed to express that. Yeah. Men can yell and they can throw their fists, but women just have to, you know, cut their eyes over to you and roll their eyes. We're not allowed to say anything.
3: We can throw shade. We just can't <laughs> say it out loud. Right. Um, but, I mean, obviously for any cursing, no matter where you are, there's a time and a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that should be it. I don't think that it should be determined by virtue of you being a man or a woman. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's, it's, it's unfair if women are put at a disadvantage for cursing over men, but it is what it is. And so I guess it's helpful to be aware. It's yeah. al- well, it's always helpful to be aware of how people perceive you.
3: Yeah. So with all of this research on gender and power and swearing in history and our brains in your brain, Caroline. Yep. The, the, has this given you any pause at all about your own cursing behavior? Um, it, well, uh, I want to say that I'm going to try
2: to clean up my act a little, but it's not going to be for fear of like scaring someone. I mean, I think it's worth it to pull back at work a little, you know? Yeah. When we're at work. Um, but, cause I mean, you know, you don't really know who's around. You don't know every single coworker. And I mean, the general you, you don't know every single coworker exceptionally well to know whether or not you're offending that person. Right. But I mean, I just still, it's like,
3: God, when I'm in my car in Atlanta traffic and I'm just screaming something, it just feels right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the one area where I consistently want to do better in terms of not cursing. Is talking to my parents, yeah, because yeah. by this point I have I really enjoy the fact that we have an open, you know honest relationship, but when I go over there, maybe I've had a rough day, we're having dinner, and I go off on a rant, mm-hmm. and it feels really good to say exactly what I'm thinking, but then later I'm thinking, oh, they must be horrified <laughs> by their dear daughter, yeah, dropping those
2: heinous phrases i know i will i'll get into a stretch of like getting really stressed out and calling my mother and she's like oh honey what's going on and i will just unleash like verbal angry curse word laden vomit all over her
3: and be like okay well i gotta go love you bye yeah it's like we just leave them with the mess like (laughs) okay you clean it up i feel so much better thanks oh heaven love you
0: (laughs) this episode is brought to you by quip When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more.
1: The Quip smart brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth, So you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards. Already
0: have a Quip?
1: Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go
0: to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash stuffmom. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. This episode of Stuff Mom
1: Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh.
3: Listeners about this. What is your stance on cursing? Do you, are you a woman who curses and and doesn't see any problem with it? Guys, you find it a turnoff for other women to curse. What are your thoughts? Let us know them. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. And by the way, if you do use profanity in the subject line, it will get spam filtered out. So just keep that in mind. You might want to keep your letters clean. So MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can email us. You can also tweet us your thoughts at MomStuffPodcast or send us a Facebook message. And we have a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I've got a letter here from Jessica about our gender reveal party episode. She writes, Hey, ladies, I really liked your podcast on gender reveal parties. We had a reveal party in July for our baby. We saw it as a fun way to announce what we were having, but we also had other motives. Throughout my pregnancy, my mom and my mother-in-law have been strangely competitive and jealous of one another. The party was a way to ensure that everyone found out the sex together in an attempt to be fair. The things you hit on were definite concerns when planning our party. The invitation said no gifts, so no one felt they had to bring us a present. I know the difference between sex and gender being a graduate of a liberal women's college. Sex reveal party just doesn't have the same ring to it. We didn't have a cake, but instead we picked out two outfits and had the store wrap the correct one. I'm glad we had everyone together because it was a special moment, this baby being highly anticipated as the first grandchild. That being said, it did stress me out and make me wonder if it was really worth all the trouble. I think it was, but probably wouldn't have another party with future pregnancies. Oh, another interesting fact. My nine-pound, one-ounce baby girl's movements could never... Be described as a delicate ballet, <laughs> so that study completely cracked me up. <laughs> Thanks, Jessica.
2: I know, I love that. Nine pounds. And I had a friend who just gave birth to a 10-pound baby. He well. looks I mean, he looks like a toddler who just walked out of her. But anyway, um, okay, I have a hilarious email from Jennifer. Um her subject line is very straightforward. It is gender reveal parties, equal sign, stupid. So here we go. Jennifer. She says, I'm a mom. Most of my friends are moms. I love babies, my own, my friends, nieces, and nephews. I love the baby who was gurgling at me in the grocery store yesterday. He was really cute. I have traveled long distances to attend baby showers or visit new babies. I bring food to new parents and lend my support in any way I can. I use social media. Gender reveal parties are stupid. George Packer was right. They reflect a creeping narcissism in our society. At the end of the day, no one outside of the immediate family cares. Boy, girl, whatever. It's just another excuse to be the center of attention. Come to my house and cheer for me. I procreated. Calm down, people. And then Jennifer has a smiley face. So thank you for writing in and telling us just what you think,
3: Jennifer. We appreciate it. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. Momstuffatdiscovery.com is where you can send all of your emails. And if you want to find out all of our other social media properties and check out all of our podcasts, blogs, and videos, there's one place to go. It's StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
4: Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth. How do I grow a teenager in a pandemic? Well, that's exactly what I want to find out. In my new podcast, Go Ask Allie, I'm asking experts to help me answer that question. For example, are quarantine teenage girls more apt to Instagram nude photos? Are they somehow going to end up on the dark web? Are teenagers getting ripped off by their new virtual education? And how do we deal with their overwhelming anxiety and uncertainty? And are they losing empathy? I'll be talking to experts and friends like my friend Brooke Shields. She'll reveal how her complicated sexual upbringing has influenced how she is as a mother to teenage girls. It's a new world, and how we raise these young humans in it determine our future. So let's share some real experiences with all new episodes releasing every other Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Dear Young Rocker Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio.
2: Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.